Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Church Educational System devotional for young adults. This broadcast is originating from the Texas Hall at the University of Texas Arlington and is being translated into 39 languages for young adults throughout the world. I am Bryson Beck, Elders Quorum President in the Allen, Texas Stake. We welcome Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and are grateful that Sister Bednar has accompanied him this evening. Elder and Sister Bednar will be introduced later in the program as the evening speakers. We are grateful for the attendance of local Area 70s, stake and ward young adult priesthood leaders and their wives. In addition, we are pleased to acknowledge the presence of on the stand of our CES and Seminaries and Institutes of Religion Administrator and his wife. We remind you that on Sunday, May 5th, 2013, Elder William R. Walker of the 70 will be the CES devotional speaker. We will begin this evening with the congregation singing, The Lord is My Light, hymn number 89 in the English hymn book. We appreciate the assistance of Margaret Navarre, who will conduct the music, and Michael Clement as our accompanist. After the hymn, Ryan Whittemore will offer the invocation.
Our dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for the opportunity that we have this Sabbath day to listen to Elder and Sister Bednar speak to us. We are grateful for the sacrament that we partake of in remembrance of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and his atonement. We ask thee at this time to please bless us with thy spirit that we may um, listen carefully to the words that are spoken to us, that we may remember them and go throughout our daily lives living them. Um, we love thee so very much, Heavenly Father, and we are indeed very grateful for the many blessings that we have. And this we say in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This evening, we are joined by a combined North Texas Young Adult Choir who will sing The Time is Far Spent. They are directed by Brother Daniel Ritchie and accompanied by Brother Clement. After the musical number, we will be pleased to hear from Sister Bednar and then afterward, Elder Bednar. At the conclusion of Elder Bednar's remarks, the choir and congregation will sing How Firm a Foundation. The congregation will sing verses 1 through 3. The choir will then sing two additional verses. They will be directed by Brother Ritchie and accompanied by Brother Clement. The benediction will then be offered by Stacy Schumann. It is now my privilege to introduce tonight's speaker. David A. Bednar was born on June 15, 1952, in Oakland, California. He served as a full-time missionary in southern Germany and graduated from Brigham Young University and Purdue University. Elder Bednar married Susan K. Robinson in the Salt Lake Temple, and they are the proud parents of three sons. In his professional life, Elder Bednar was a professor of business management and then served as the president of Brigham Young University, Idaho. Elder Bednar was ordained and set apart as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on October 7, 2004. The choir will now sing, The Time is Far Spent.
was a great musical number. Thank you so very much. I'm excited to be here with you and with my husband tonight. My husband and I have a soft place in our heart for the young adults of the church. So wherever you are in the world, we welcome you and are honored to be with you. As I travel the world with my husband, I'm saddened to discover that many young people feel alone and doubt the Lord knows them personally or that he loves them. I've prayed about the principles I could emphasize tonight that would help you know the Lord does know you and love you. I pray for the Spirit to help me deliver this message. I'm going to use words from a seminary song to organize my remarks. We must have ears to hear the word of the Lord and eyes to see his plan, feet to follow in his path and hearts to understand. First, we must have ears to hear the word of the Lord. We can hear the voice of the Lord as we study the scriptures. When I was your age, Spencer W. Kimball was the president of the church. A quote from him has guided me throughout my life. He said, I find that when I get casual in my relationships with divinity, and when it seems that no divine ear is listening and no divine voice is speaking, that I am far, far away. If I immerse myself in the scriptures, the distance narrows and the spirituality returns. I testify, if we have ears to hear the word of the Lord, we will feel his love as he speaks to us through the scriptures. Second, we must have eyes to see his plan. One day I was thinking about a returned missionary I knew when unexpectedly I received an email from her. She told me how she felt the Lord working miracles through her in the mission field. But since her return home, she wondered sometimes if he was really aware of her. In my answer to her, I shared some important counsel Elder Iron gave to BYU-Idaho students. He said... I bless you that every day, if you will ask in prayer to be shown where the hand of God intervened in your life that day, I bless you that you will see that it will be made manifest to you, that you will see that he is leading and guiding and lifting you, and that he knows you. I then explained how I prayed daily for this blessing and had seen the hand of God reaching out to touch me through her thoughtful note. I reassured her that Heavenly Father would do the same for her. I testify as we pray for eyes to see his plan. We will be aware of God's involvement in our lives and know that he knows us 
Third, we must have feet to follow in his path. Many young adults become disillusioned, disheartened, and discouraged because events they thought would happen in their lives have not yet occurred. Some mistakenly believe if God hasn't given them the happiness or blessings they were hoping for or thought they deserved, He doesn't care. To show their displeasure with God, some lose faith, dishonor covenants, put their trust in worldly pleasures, and turn from God to self. Instead of having feet to follow the path of righteousness, they deviate from the gospel plan, wander off, and become lost. We all know someone who is off the path. We can feel God's love in our lives as we see the positive reaction of many as we reach out to serve and to rescue. The Lord's path is clearly marked by the teachings of prophets, seers, and revelators. Next month is General Conference. I testify if we prayerfully seek to identify a personal question or concern to take to conference, the Lord will answer us through the messages of His anointed servants. We'll feel His love and concern and have increased courage and steady feet to follow in His path now and forever. Fourth, we need hearts to understand the gift of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Elder Bednar has taught, It is one thing to know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us. That is fundamental and foundational to the doctrine of Christ. But we also need to appreciate that the Lord desires through His Atonement and by the power of the Holy Ghost to live in us, not only to direct us, but also to empower us. To me, the Atonement of Jesus Christ provides individual comfort and powerful evidence of God's love for us. It strengthens us to do hard things, things we don't think we can do. It helps us hold on when we do not understand God's will and timing in our lives. I testify God lives, and we will feel His love and know that He knows us as we dedicate our hearts to understand more fully the blessings of the Atonement of His Son, Jesus Christ. We must have ears to hear the word of the Lord and eyes to see His plan, feet to follow in His path, and hearts to understand. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Brothers and sisters, I am grateful to participate in this devotional with young people of the church from all over the world. I love you and appreciate this opportunity to worship together. Susan has spoken and testified of important principles, and each of us will be blessed and strengthened as we apply consistently her teachings in our daily lives. Susan is a righteous woman, an elect lady, and the love of my wife, my life, and she's very cute. <laughs> I have pondered and earnestly petitioned our Heavenly Father to know how I might best be able to serve you tonight. I pray the power of the Holy Ghost will be with each of us, that we may think what we need to think, feel what we need to feel, and learn what we need to learn 
so we can do what we know we should do and ultimately become what the Lord yearns for us to become. Elder Neal A. Maxwell was a beloved disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He served as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles for 23 years, from 1981 to 2004. The spiritual power of his teachings and his example of faithful discipleship blessed and continue to bless in marvelous ways the members of the Savior's restored church and the people of the world. In October of 1997, Sister Bednar and I hosted Elder and Sister Maxwell at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Elder Maxwell was to speak, at the, speak to the students, staff, and faculty in a devotional assembly. Everyone on the campus eagerly anticipated his visit to the university and earnestly prepared to receive his message. Earlier in that same year, Elder Maxwell underwent 46 days and nights of debilitating chemotherapy for leukemia. Shortly after completing his treatments and being released from the hospital, he spoke briefly in the April General Conference of the Church. His continued rehabilitation and therapy progressed positively throughout the spring and the summer months, but Elder Maxwell's physical strength and stamina were nonetheless limited when he traveled to Rexburg. After greeting Elder and Sister Maxwell at the airport, Susan and I drove them to our home for rest and a light lunch before the devotional. During the course of our conversations that day, I asked Elder Maxwell what lessons he had learned through his illness. I will remember always the precise and penetrating answer he gave. Dave, he said, I have learned that not shrinking is more important than surviving. His response to my inquiry was a principle with which he had gained extensive personal experience during his chemotherapy. As Elder Maxwell and his wife were driving to the hospital in January of 1997, on the day he was scheduled to begin the first round of treatment, they pulled into the parking lot, parking lot and paused for a private moment together. Elder Maxwell breathed a deep sigh and looked at his wife. He reached for her hand and said, I just don't want to shrink. In his October 1997 General Conference message entitled, Applying the Atoning Blood of Christ, Elder Maxwell taught with great authenticity, quote, As we confront our own trials and the tribulations, we too can plead with the Father, just as Jesus did, that we might not shrink, meaning to retreat or to recoil. Not shrinking is much more important than surviving. Moreover, partaking of a bitter cup without becoming bitter is likewise part of the emulation of Jesus. Close quote. Elder Maxwell's answer to my question caused me to reflect on the teachings of Elder Orson F. Whitney, who also served as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Quote, no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable 
more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. Close quote. And these scriptures concerning the Savior's suffering as he offered the infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice, sacrifice became even more poignant and meaningful to me. Therefore, I command you to repent. Repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth and by my wrath and by my anger and your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not. How exquisite you know not. Yea, how hard to bear, you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father. And I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. The Savior did not shrink in Gethsemane or on Golgotha. Elder Maxwell also did not shrink. This mighty apostle pressed forward steadfastly and was blessed with additional time and mortality to love, to serve, to teach, and to testify. Those concluding years of his life were an emphatic exclamation point to his example of devoted discipleship through both his words and his deeds. Now, I believe most of us likely would expect a man with a spiritual capacity, experience, and stature of Elder Maxwell to face serious illness and death with an understanding of God's plan of happiness, with assurance and grace, and with dignity. And he surely did. But my purpose today is to bear witness that such blessings are not reserved exclusively for general authorities or for a few select members of the Church. Since my call to fill the vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve created by the death of Elder Maxwell. My assignments and travels have enabled me to become acquainted with faithful, courageous, and valiant Latter-day Saints all over the world. I want to tell you about one young man and one young woman who have blessed my life and with whom I have learned spiritually vital lessons about not shrinking and about allowing our individual will to be swallowed up in the will of the Father. This account is true, and the characters are real. I will not, however, use the actual names of the individuals who are involved. I refer to the young man as John and the young woman as Heather. I also use with permission selected statements from their personal journals. John is a worthy priesthood holder and served faithfully as a full-time missionary. After returning home from his mission, he dated and married a righteous and wonderful young woman, Heather. John was 23 and Heather was 20 on the day they were sealed together for time and for all eternity in the house of the Lord. Now please keep in mind the respective ages of John and Heather 
as this story unfolds. Approximately three weeks after their temple marriage, John was diagnosed with bone cancer. As cancer nodules were also discovered in his lungs, the prognosis was not good. John recorded in his journal, This was the scariest day of my life. Not only because I was told I had cancer, but also because I was newly married and somehow felt that I had failed as a husband. I was the provider and protector of our new family, and now, three weeks into that role, I felt like I had failed. I know that thought is absurd, but is one of the crazy things I told myself in a moment of crisis. Heather noted, This was devastating news, and I remember how greatly it changed our perspectives. I was in a hospital waiting room writing wedding thank you notes as we anticipated the results of John's tests. But after learning about John's cancer, crockpots and cookware did not seem so important anymore. This was the worst day of my life. But I remember going to bed that night with gratitude for our temple ceiling. Though the doctors had given John only a 30% chance of survival, I knew that if we remained faithful, I had a 100% chance to be with him forever. Approximately one month later, John began chemotherapy. He described his experience. The treatments caused me to be sicker than I had ever been in my life. I lost my hair, dropped 41 pounds, and my body felt like it was falling apart. The chemotherapy also affected me emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Life was a roller coaster during the months of chemo, with highs, lows, and everything in between. But through it all, Heather and I maintained the faith that God would heal me. We just knew it. Heather chronicled her thoughts and feelings. I could not stand to let John spend the night in the hospital alone. So I would sleep every night on the small couch in his room. We had lots of friends and family visit during the day, but the nights were the hardest. I would stare at the ceiling and wonder what Heavenly Father had planned for us. Sometimes my mind would wander into dark places, and my fear of losing John would almost overtake me. But I knew these thoughts were not from Heavenly Father. My prayers for comfort became more frequent, and the Lord gave me the strength to keep going. Three months later, John underwent a surgical procedure to remove a large tumor in his leg. John stated, The surgery was a huge deal for us because pathology tests were to be run on the tumor to see how much of it was viable and how much of the cancer was dead. This analysis would give us the first indication of the effectiveness of the chemotherapy and of how aggressive we would need to be with future treatments. Two days following the operation, I visited John and Heather in the hospital. We talked about the first time I met John in the mission field, about their marriage, about the cancer, the cancer and about the eternally important lessons we learned through the trials of mortality. As we concluded our time together, John asked if I would give him a priesthood blessing. I responded that I would gladly give such a blessing. But I first needed to ask some questions. I then posed questions I had not planned to ask 
and had never previously considered. John, do you have the faith not to be healed? If it is the will of our Heavenly Father that you are transferred by death in your youth to the spirit world to continue your ministry, do you have the faith to submit to his will and not be healed? Now, brothers and sisters, I frankly was surprised by the questions I felt prompted to ask this particular couple. Frequently in the scriptures, the Savior or his servants exercise the spiritual gift of healing and perceive that an individual had the faith to be healed. But as John and Heather and I counseled together and wrestled with these questions, we increasingly understood that if God's will were for this good young man to be healed, that blessing could only be received if this valiant couple first had the faith not to be healed. In other words, John and Heather needed to overcome, through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, the natural man tendency in all of us to demand impatiently and insist incessantly on the blessings we want and believe we deserve. We recognized a principle that applies to every devoted disciple. Strong faith in the Savior is submissively accepting of His will and timing in our lives, even if the outcome is not what we hoped for or wanted. Certainly, John and Heather would desire, yearn, and plead for healing with all of their might, mind, and strength. But more importantly, they would be willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon them, even as a child doth submit to his father. Indeed, they would be willing to offer their whole souls as an offering unto him, and humbly pray, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What initially seemed to John, Heather, and me to be perplexing questions became part of a pervasive pattern of gospel paradoxes. Consider the admonition of the Savior. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He also declared, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And the Lord counseled his latter-day disciples, By thy word many high ones shall be brought low, and by thy word many low ones shall be exalted. Thus having the faith to not be healed seemed to fit appropriately into a powerful pattern of penetrating paradoxes that require us to ask, to seek, and to knock, that we might receive knowledge and understanding. After taking the necessary time to ponder my inquiries and to talk with his wife, John said to me, Elder Bednar, I do not want to die. I do not want to leave Heather. But if the will of the Lord is to transfer me to the spirit world, then I guess I am good with that. My heart swelled with appreciation and admiration as I witnessed this young couple confront the most demanding of all spiritual struggles, the submissive surrender of their wills to God's will.
My faith was strengthened as I witnessed this couple allowing their strong and understandable desires for healing to be swallowed up in the will of the Father. John described his reaction to our conversation and the blessing he received. Elder Bednar shared with us the thought from Elder Maxwell that it is better to not shrink than to survive. Elder Bednar then asked us, I know you have the faith to be healed, but do you have the faith not to be healed? This was a foreign concept to me. Essentially, he was asking if I had the faith to accept God's will, if his will were that I not be healed. If the time were approaching for me to enter the spirit world through death, was I prepared to submit and accept? John continued, Having the faith not to be healed seemed counterintuitive, but that perspective changed the way my wife and I thought and allowed us to put our trust fully in the Father's plan for us. We learned we needed to gain the faith that the Lord is in charge, whatever the outcome may be, and He will guide us from where we are to where we need to be. As we prayed, our petitions changed from please make me whole to please give me the faith to accept whatever outcome thou hast planned for me. I was sure that since Elder Bednar was an apostle, he would bless the elements of my body to realign, and I would jump out of the bed and start to dance or do something dramatic like that. But as he blessed me that day, I was amazed that the words he spoke were almost identical to those of my father, my father-in-law, and my mission president. I realized that ultimately it does not matter whose hands are on my head. God's power does not change, and His will is made known to us individually and through His authorized servants. Heather wrote, This day was filled with mixed emotions for me. I was convinced that Elder Bednar, was, Elder Bednar would place his hands on John's head and completely heal him of the cancer. I knew that through the power of the priesthood he could be healed, and I wanted so bad for that to happen. After he taught us about the faith to not be healed, I was terrified. Up to that point, I had never had to come to grips with the fact that the Lord's plan might include losing my new husband. My faith was dependent upon the outcomes I wanted. In a manner of speaking, it was one-dimensional. Though terrifying at first, the thought of having the faith not to be healed ultimately freed me from worry. It allowed me to have complete trust that my Heavenly Father knew me better than I knew myself, and He would do what was best for me and John. A blessing was given, and weeks, months, and years passed by. John's cancer miraculously went into remission. He was able to complete his university studies and obtained gainful employment. John and Heather continued to strengthen their relationship and to enjoy life together. Sometime later, I subsequently received a letter from John and Heather informing me that the cancer had returned. Chemotherapy was resumed, resumed and surgery scheduled. John explained, Not only did this news come as a disappointment to Heather and me, but we were puzzled by it. Was there something we did not learn the first time? 
Did the Lord expect something more from us? Growing up as Latter-day Saints, it was common to go to church and hear the phrase, Every trial God gives us is for our benefit. Well, to be honest, I could not see how this was benefiting me. So I began to pray for clarity and for the Lord to help me understand why this recurrence of the cancer was happening. One day as I was reading in the New Testament, I received my answer. I read the account of Christ and His apostles on the sea when a tempest arose. Fearing the boat would capsize, the disciples went to the Savior and asked, Master, carest thou not that we perish? This is exactly how I felt. Carest thou not that I have cancer? Carest thou not that we want to start our family? But as I read on in the story, I found my answer. The Lord looked at them and said, O ye of little faith. And he stretched forth his hand and calmed the waters. In that moment, I had to ask myself, Do I really believe this? Do I really believe he calmed the waters that day? Or is it just a nice story to read about? The answer is, I do believe. And because I know he calmed the waters, I instantly knew he could heal me. Up until this point, I had a hard time reconciling the need for my faith in Christ with the inevitability of his will. I saw them as two separate things, and sometimes I felt that one contradicted the other. Why should I have faith if his will ultimately is what will prevail, I asked. After this experience, I knew that having faith, at least in my circumstance, was not necessarily knowing that he would heal me, but that he could heal me. I had to believe that he could. And then whether it happened was up to him. As I allowed those two ideas to coexist in my life, focused faith in Jesus Christ and complete submission to his will, I found greater comfort and peace. It has been so remarkable to see the Lord's hand in our lives. Things have fallen into place. Miracles have happened. And we continually are humbled to see God's plan for us unfold. Now, brothers and sisters, I repeat for emphasis John's statement. As I allowed those two ideas to coexist in my life, focused faith in Jesus Christ and complete submission to his will, I found greater comfort and peace. Righteousness and faith certainly are instrumental in moving mountains. If moving mountains accomplishes God's purposes and is in accordance with His will, righteousness and faith certainly are instrumental in healing the sick, deaf, or lame. If such healing accomplishes God's purposes and is in accordance with His will, thus, even with strong faith, many mountains will not be moved, and not all of the sick and infirmed will be healed. If all opposition were curtailed, if all maladies were removed, then the primary purposes of the Father's plan would be frustrated. Many of the lessons we are to learn in mortality can only be received through the things we experience and sometimes suffer. And God expects and trusts us to face temporary mortal adversity 
with his help so we can learn what we need to learn and ultimately become what we are to become in eternity. This story about John and Heather is both ordinary and extraordinary. This young couple is representative of millions of faithful, covenant-keeping Latter-day Saints all over the world who are pressing forward along the straight and narrow path with steadfast faith in Christ and a perfect brightness of hope. John and Heather were not serving in highly visible leadership positions in the church. They were not related to general authorities, and sometimes they had doubts and fears. In many of these aspects, their story is quite ordinary. But, brothers and sisters, this young man and young woman were blessed in extraordinary ways to learn essential lessons for eternity through affliction and hardship. I have shared this episode with you because John and Heather, who are just like so many of you, came to understand that not shrinking is more important than surviving. Thus, their experience was not primarily about living and dying. Rather, it was about learning, living, and becoming. The potent spiritual combination of faith in and on the holy name of Jesus Christ, of meekly submitting to his will and timing, of pressing forward with unwearied diligence, and of acknowledging his hand in all things, yields the peaceable things of the kingdom of God that bring joy and eternal life. As this couple faced seemingly overwhelming challenges, they lived a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. They walked peaceably with and among the children of men. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, kept their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. For many of you, their story is, has been, or could be your story. You are facing have faced or will yet face equivalent challenges in your lives with the same courage and spiritual perspective that John and Heather did. I do not know why some people learn the lessons of eternity through trial and suffering, while others learn similar lessons through rescue and healing. I do not know all of the reasons, all of the purposes, and I do not know everything about the Lord's timing. With Nephi, you and I can say that we do not know the meaning of all things. But some things I absolutely do know. I know we are spirit sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. I know the Eternal Father is the author of the plan of happiness. I know Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. I know Jesus enabled the Father's plan through his infinite and eternal atonement. I know that the Lord, who was bruised, broken, and torn for us, can succor and strengthen his people according to their infirmities. And I know one of the greatest blessings of mortality is to not shrink and to allow our individual will to be swallowed up in the will of the Father. Though I do not know everything about how and when and where and why these blessings occur, I do know and I witness they are real. I testify that all of these things are true and that we, you and I, know enough by the power of the Holy Ghost 
to bear sure witness of their divinity, reality, and efficacy. My beloved brothers and sisters, I invoke upon you this blessing, even that as you press forward in your lives with steadfast faith in Christ, you will be blessed with the capacity to not shrink. I bear this witness, and I invoke this blessing in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, we are so very grateful for this beautiful Sabbath day and the ability we have to gather this evening to be counseled by Elder Bednar. We are just so very grateful for the prophet and the apostles, and we are thankful for the preparation that went into tonight's fireside. We ask for safety as we travel home this evening. We ask to continue to be mindful of others as we always embrace the Spirit. We are just so very grateful for thy Son, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 